This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi there, Dr. Jen Lincoln here. I can't come to the phone right now, but we'll likely have an opening later on. Please leave me a message and I'll be at your cervix. I mean, <laughs> service in no time. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Down There podcast. I am your host, board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So how I normally do this podcast, as you know, if you've been listening, is every week I answer a question or two that somebody has called in or left me on my voicemail or my DMs. I'm going to switch it up a little bit this week, though. And that's because this week, I want to record an episode about reproductive justice and what I want you to know as a gynecologist, as an OBGYN in America who is white in a very much a position of power and privilege, things that you just might not know, how racism and classism and all these things roll into poor outcomes for people who, who don't look like me in this country, specifically Black people, Black birthing people. I'm recording this episode during Black History Month, but it could be any day of the week or any day of the month. It doesn't really matter. It's relevant all the time. And I decided to do this episode after I was invited to Washington, D.C. for some State of the Union stuff. And what went down is a couple of days beforehand, I got a call that said, hey, we'd love for you to come down and be available in the media room during the day of the State of the Union to be available in case some Congress people want to be interviewed not only to local media, but we also want them to have a chance to interact with social media influencers, which I do not think that I am because I just think that's a silly word. And so we'd love if you could come because we know that you talk a lot about reproductive health and with everything that's going on in the world, we know that a lot of our Congress members would love to chat about that. And so I went, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Sure, I'll come. And so I flew in and it was myself and Harry Sasson, who's a typical Democrat on social media and V. Spahar, who is under the desk news. And the three of us were the social media folks. And we were in this tiny room in the basement of one of the buildings adjacent to the Capitol. And we were there all day. And what would happen is Congress people would come in and if they wanted to chat with us, they would. And I got to meet some really cool people. I got to do 20 interviews. And obviously being an OBGYN, I wanted to, my angle was talking about reproductive health. I wanted to know did the male congressmen think that they had a role that they should speak up? I wanted to talk to people about whether or not they thought abortion bans were racist. I wanted to talk to people about why reproductive health care matters. And it's not just about abortion. It's about access to paid family leave. It's about access to contraception. It's about so much more. And so one of the people who I saw was potentially going to be coming into the room, I got super excited about. It was Monica Simpson, who's the executive director of Sister Song. And I'm going to let her explain exactly what Sister Song is in just a moment. The reason she was there is that she was the invited guest of Congresswoman Nakima Williams, who she's the congresswoman for Georgia's fifth congressional district. And just a fun fact about Congressman Williams is that she took the space that was vacated when Representative John Lewis passed away. So a ton of history happening here. Very amazing, powerful people. And when they walked in the room and they came over and we did the interview, I sort of, I had that fangirl moment where I said, oh my goodness, I'm honored to meet you. The work that you both have done, we need to talk about it. And since this podcast is Let's Talk About Down There podcast, I thought what better platform to share what we talked about. And so before I talk about the things that I just, I want you to know, um, and maybe you've heard some of these things, maybe you haven't, 
But if you're a white person listening, this is this is really your homework for this month. And it's really, it's on us to, to learn these things. It's not for other people who have these backgrounds, who are Black, who have been marginalized by these systems to teach us. We, we can teach ourselves. We need to, and we should. Let's anchor this conversation in reproductive justice. What does that mean? So I'm going to go ahead and play that clip of when I asked Congresswoman Williams that question, and we'll hear how she defines it and how Monica Simpson defines it. I have used this term a lot in my social media, but I don't know if everybody knows it. What is the, like, what is reproductive justice? Well, first I want to start about why Monica is my guest this evening, because... So I do want to cut in there, and the reason I'm laughing is I went to hand the microphone to Monica, being the executive director of Sister Song, and the reason is is because it was the women who founded Sister Song who came up with this definition of reproductive justice. So I was like, I'm going to give it to her to let her talk. And then Representative Williams said, no, no, I'm going first. So that this is her talking first. We were talking a lot about the bands off our body. But, and that it was important to me to have Monica here with Sister Song to talk about reproductive justice because it's not just about abortion access. Absolutely. It's about so much more. And being a Black woman, raising a little Black boy, I know that we also have to have the right to parent our children in a safe community that we decide to have. And so that's why it was so important to me to talk about the intersectionality between all of these issues. And you can explain reproductive justice more. No, for sure. (laughs) So I'm going to pause right there too. Now, maybe this is the first time you're hearing the word intersectionality. And so I do want to talk about that. And it's fine if this is the first time you've heard of that term. And this is really the key root of everything that I'm talking about here. What Monica and Representative Williams are talking about, which this idea that everything's connected, right? So you can't just advocate for abortion access if you're not also talking about the other reasons that are making access unfair. And, you know, so we're talking about inequities in poverty when it comes to racism, when it comes to gender, when it comes to, you know, gender expression, when it comes to whether or not you're a citizen. So all of these things all play a role together, which is why we all need to work together to be fighting all of these things. You can't just put yourself in your little bucket of, I only care about reproductive health, or I I only care about trans rights. I only care about, I don't know, FMLA or something like that. It's that these things are all overlapping, they're interdependent. And it's also why we see lots of, you know, areas or policies may try to fix just one aspect of something and it doesn't work. And that's because you can't just ignore the environment in which people are in, the society in which they're in that, you know, oppresses them from different ways. I mean, it's it's all interconnected. I think one of the ways I like to explain it to people um, is actually through a quote from Audre Lorde. Um, she says, we can't have single issue movements because we don't live single issue lives, right? And so the work of reproductive justice, which is a movement that was created by black women in 1994 and is led by powerful people of color and our allies all across the country today. But this work really centers the human right to bodily autonomy, to be able to have the children that we want in the ways that we want, to be able to prevent or end pregnancies without shame, but with dignity. Um, Um, And to be able to do that in a way to be able to have self-determination for ourselves. And so our work really is about looking at those intersections, right? And what do we need to have the access to these services? What do we need to make sure that we're safe in our communities? How do we make sure that all of that comes together so that we can have reproductive freedom in this country um, is what reproductive justice is all about. So that's it. She said it right there. That is what reproductive justice is. It's not just about being able to have an abortion. It's about being able to parent the kids that you have currently in a safe way. So you're able to have access to good schools in safe neighborhoods with clean air, access to healthy food, access to safe spaces where they can go outside and play. And you're not afraid that they're going to be harmed or shot or, you know, 
not be able to go outside because it is so unsafe. All of these things together, it's the ability to access birth control if you want it and to get it in a fair way to not be coerced into using a birth control method because somebody's making you feel like you need to use it. This is rooted in a lot of the racist ways that birth control was that came to be and that people who were included in trials did not give their consent. It's also about the ability to, if you do choose to give birth, that you can be cared for in a safe way because we know the maternal mortality disparities in this country. So the ability to have access to maternal care, to not live in a place where you have to travel tens or not hundreds of miles to get the obstetric care that you need, to have providers who understand what you need, your background, who don't just tell you this is the only way you can birth. It is all of this and more, and that's what reproductive justice is. It's all that and more. And I will include in the show notes a link down to Sister Song so you can read more about how this definition came to be, how this organization came to be, and why this matters now more than ever in a post-Roe world where we continue to see our rights chipped away. And we know that people who have means, people who are able to access good health care, people who can travel, who can figure out the ways to get around things, they're still going to get the abortions they need. It's the people who have always been harmed the most, who will continue to be harmed the most. And it's why I focus so much on abortion access recently for obvious reasons. And it's so much more than that, right? It's about all these other things we talked about. It's about being able to have a healthcare provider who actually understands what you need, who understands your background to access the things like respectful care, birth control, it's not coercive, all these things. It's just, it's so important now more than ever. And so I do want to say before I go on that it's really important to note, and we can say this out loud, like we can just say it, we don't have to get all defensive about it, but the movement for reproductive freedom, the movement for feminism, the movement for all these things has traditionally been led by white women in positions of power who have really focused on people like them. So they have not really centered people who can be the most harmed or have been the most harmed. And this is something that we've seen and we know, and it has to change. And that doesn't mean that people who look like me shouldn't be speaking out. If, if anything, it means that we should be speaking out more because we are in positions of power where we are safer. I can say these things as a white physician in Oregon. It's a lot different if you're asking a black physician or a non-physician in the state of Texas who could potentially be charged with aiding and abetting if they did some of the things I did in the way that I do that. Or they're busy providing abortion care and they're slammed in a border state, let's say, you know, New Mexico, for example, and they're working six days a week and they're doing tons of care for people, not only in their states, but people coming over and they don't have the bandwidth. And so we want them to provide the care and also advocate for all that they need. I mean, that's crazy. So it means that all of us need to speak up and we need to change the language that we use. We need to realize that not everybody who has an abortion identifies as a woman. We need to understand that the imagery we use, the language we use, it's gotta be encompassing of all different backgrounds and center in those who are harmed most. So I don't know if what I'm saying is really getting through to anybody or if it's even helpful how I'm presenting it. I hope that it is. And it's okay if all of this is somewhat new to you and sounds really strange at first, or you're like, I never thought about that. Or maybe you even feel a little annoyed. Like, I feel like she's making me feel bad for being white. I felt all these things too. And when we feel a little uncomfortable, that's usually, it's a good sign. It means that we're growing. So it's okay to like set over these things, ruminate over these things. But now I want to transition to things that maybe you didn't realize were part of the obstetrical gynecologic history 
and are really just discrete examples of why we're in the mess that we are today. So let's talk about Henrietta Lacks. And maybe you've heard of her, maybe you haven't. And so Henrietta Lacks, there's there's a whole book, which I've actually not read, and I need to. I tend to not usually pick up books that are medically related because reading is my escape from work, but it's one of those that are, it's always on my list and I really, I just need to pick it up. But I do know enough of her history. I can share a little bit with it today, but if you're like, where do I go, Jen, to get more information? That's where I'm going to send you. So this was a woman, Henrietta Lacks, who lived in the 1950s and she was a black female. She lived, um, she got her care at Johns Hopkins Hospital, um, where she unfortunately presented with bleeding and she was ultimately diagnosed with cervical cancer. The reason we're talking about her today is that before she passed away, some of her cervical cancer cells were collected without her consent. And since then, these cells have been used in thousands of studies. They have been the basis of tons of remarkable medical breakthroughs, vaccines, testing how drugs affect things, understanding what cervical cancer. I mean, you guys, literally her, her cells were taken into space to see what that would do in terms of, of how these cells grow. I mean, these cells have been called the HeLa cells. They were, you know, the first two letters of her first name and her last name. So this woman who died at the age of 31, her cells were taken from her body without her consent. They have been part of remarkable medical breakthroughs. And it is only recently that this has been acknowledged, that they've started with reparations. And in no way, shape or form is this ever how something should be done. And yet this is how science was practiced. And this was in back in the 1950s, but this has continued far beyond that where people were subjected into experiments and studies without being given the full picture, without having any consent given. And this is an exact example of that. So this woman had a huge impact and maybe would have absolutely consented to this, but she was never given the choice. And this is an example of how her choice was taken away from her, freedom was taken, her bodily autonomy was taken away from her. This is something that we still reckon with. And this folds into this topic of reproductive justice and we can see how it's related to reproductive rights and abortion access because it's all about you get to decide what you do with your body. She didn't get to decide that. And that's just the tiniest snippet of, of her story. But if you haven't heard about that, again, I'll put the link for that book in my show notes. So here's another thing that we need to know about, especially as white people in 2023 to understand why we're still dealing with a lot of racial disparities and racial discrimination in healthcare and mistrust and it's appropriate. So something called the Mississippi appendectomy, and that's what it was called. And this was the name of when people were forced into sterilization without their consent. And this really came out of the eugenics movement. And so basically this was the practice when, you know, we're talking like the 1920s, even up to the 1980s, where people who were considered, you know, undesirable and, and they shouldn't have babies. So these were poor people. These were black people, you know, people who maybe just didn't seem that's people who, again, looked like me, decided, oh, they shouldn't reproduce. They underwent involuntary sterilization. So a Mississippi appendectomy is when they actually were sterilized. So unnecessarily removing somebody's uterus. So civil rights leader, Fannie Lou Hamer, she was a victim of this. She had a hysterectomy done by a white physician. And this is Done. It was done without her consent. She was supposed to just have a, a growth in her uterus removed and her entire uterus was removed. You know, she never gave consent for this and she spoke out about this. 
And again, I am not going into all the details of this. This is just sort of me throwing out a couple things that I'm like, hey, if you haven't heard about this, go ahead and do the work, look into it, learn more about it. But this is an example of why things like even today, when some populations may hear about a type of birth control, I, I don't trust this kind of birth control, understand that, you know, especially me as a physician, I'm like, what? you know, I'm giving the evidence, I'm showing you studies, it's a really great thing that, you know, it doesn't affect your fertility. I have to understand that some people are coming at this from, you know, a longstanding understanding of why should I trust you when just as recently as a few decades ago, people were being sterilized without their consent. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner that we can realize this isn't about you. This isn't about how well you communicate it. This is a whole systemic thing. This is the intertwining of reproductive justice, which is when people can't even feel safe enough to raise the babies they have in the communities they are because they are being the victims of police brutality at the same time are living in states where they have no access to abortion and at the same time don't even want to access birth control because they don't trust the systems in which they're in. Do you see how it's all intersectional and it's all related? So I want to transition now to, I think, again, Monica and Representative Williams, they sum this up perfectly with what I want to end with here. So let's have a listen. Here's me setting up the question and then first Representative Williams answers and then Monica. So my followers who haven't heard this before, the abortion rights movement, the reproductive rights movement has been centered on white cis hetero women for far too long. And the whole point is that you can't have a single justice movement. It is not about abortion. It is about control. It is about LGBTQ plus issues. It is about so much more than abortion, which is really important. So what do we do about it? Because we're feeling a little hopeless right now. What can we tell my followers, like the one thing they need to do? Today, so we continue to organize. So this is this is not about one Supreme Court being able to decide our future. We know, especially as black women from the South, that we're always going to have entities that are against us. But we press forward because we know that there is hope on the other side. We look out for each other. We lift each other up and we continue to do the work to make sure that people have the care and the access that they need. Absolutely. Anything you want to add to that? No, I think my all the way right. Like we have to keep organizing and we have to also understand the root of what we're all dealing with, right? When we think about how all of our issues are connected from voting rights to environmental issues that we're dealing with, to economic justice issues, to the reproductive justice issues that we're dealing with, all of it's rooted in this fight that we're up against right now, systemic racism, white supremacy, patriarchy, like these things are real in our communities and they're showing up in all of the places that we're doing our work, where we're getting our services, where we're getting our care. And so this organizing is, is, is extremely important, right, in order for us to not only move our people forward and get the, get the rights that we deserve, but also the justice that we deserve by dismantling these systems of oppression that have far too long kept our people from being able to access what they need. Very nice. So I want to wrap up this episode with, this is not a comprehensive, here's how to understand racism in the obstetric gynecologic lens that I'm presenting here. I haven't even talked about J. Marion Sims, which again, I'll put a link down below. You can look into that. This was really the point to introduce this concept of reproductive justice, understanding how we need to understand that we can say, well, I didn't play any part of it. We live in the society. We live in the world that we do. And when we know better, we do better. I am so thankful that I had the chance to talk to Representative Williams and Monica 
And I'm so thankful for the chance that I got to travel to DC and hang out with them. I can absolutely say it was an honor. I got to watch the State of the Union in the White House. I was very disappointed about how abortion was handled in the State of the Union. And I'm glad that I was there. And I'm glad that I was able to experience that. And we can still speak up and say we demand better, which we do. So I hope that you enjoyed this quick overview. Questions, comments, as always, resources are in my notes. And just keep learning, just keep listening. And keep speaking up because if you are in a position of power, you are able to do that and you must. It's, it's what we must do. Thanks so much, everybody. And have a great week. Okay, it's that time where I ask you to rate, review, and follow on your favorite podcast app because we know that's how we get more people talking. So call in at 503-893-2016 and join me online at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So let's keep the conversation going, my friends. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them.